Being a working parent means that I am always rushing to make sure things are done. You know what helps? The OFS concierge services. If I know my husband will be on a trip, I'll order dinner ahead of time and just take it straight from the OFS fridge when I go home with my child. One less thing to worry about. Or when I'm about to host a party at my house, I'll use Housekeeping Delphine to clean my house before or sometimes after the party. The best part is part of their fees go back to my child's teacher who deserves so much. I love that I am getting a service and also giving back to her. Check out the OFS website at www.oldfirehouseschool.com to find out more about the concierge services, which include school lunches, nanny services, and a family photographer. Welcome to Fireside Chats on the Young Mind, brought to you by Old Firehouse School. I'm Dorothy Stewart, and I'm here with the Lafayette Program Director, Alex Dutton. You know, we hear all the time, play is a way that children learn. But really, what does that mean? We have with us an expert on this topic. She's an expert on lots of things. As a matter of fact, my guest today is Daya Hill. Daya has been in the field for quite some time, about the same amount of time as I have. She's written three books. She is a very popular speaker everywhere she goes, and she has been teaching at the local community college for how many years, Daya? 31. 31 years. So this person knows her stuff, and I'm so delighted and proud that she is here today. And she's going to help explain the value of play in children's development. So Daya, the first question I have to ask you is, how did you get started with an interest in play? Where did that come from? First of all, thank you for allowing me to be here. I got started with the interest in play and child development because I had such a wonderful childhood. And I can remember how I played. I can remember how I played teacher, in fact, and how the red pencil was the most important element of my play. <laughs> if I didn't have the red pencil, I wasn't a real teacher. Right. Yeah. No, it Correct was really things. important. Yeah. So that just kind of blossomed into my curiosity about children and about play and about development. Now, did you study that in yes. play? You did, yes. Yeah, I, I started out my undergraduate program in early childhood education, and my degree is in that. And then from there, I went on for my master's and doctorate in kind of in related fields. But I've always known what I wanted to do, and that was the direction I took. No. So, Daya, here's yes. a question that we always get asked <laughs> oh, by parents. Boy. Why is play important? Shouldn't children be learning? Yeah, because play. What is play? I know. I was a director of a preschool for 16 years, so I got that question too. Play is learning. And when parents say things like, should I choose an academic school or a play-based school? I sort of chuckle to myself because a play-based school is an academic school. There's no differentiation because through play, children learn all of the academics that they're supposed to be learning at that time. So as a child's playing, he's creating an environment where he can learn about creativity, imagination, self-control, leadership, cognitive skills. I could go on and on. Empathy, sensitivity, all, all of it, and physical skills as well. But I think the most important thing that he or she is learning is self-confidence and to feel some sense of power and control 
in their world rather than having all the control put on them. Some parents think that it's a waste of time because when are they going to learn their numbers and their alphabet? Yeah, that, that's what I hear too. When a child is asked to please set the table for snack and they are going to have six children at the snack table and they have to count out six napkins and six cups, that is math. Or when they're putting blocks together and they figure out how high or how deep they want the blocks to be, that is math. Actually, that's physics. Mm-hmm. When they're combining colors or combining they're combining red and blue to create purple, that's chemistry. Parents don't recognize that and they sort of think it's silly when you say that, but it is chemistry at a three-year-old level. When they're saying, you get to be the mommy and I'm going to be the daddy and you're going to be the dog, those are leadership skills and communication skills and self-control skills and negotiation skills come into that as well. When they are cooking, there's incredible math skills as well as science skills involved in that. So that is learning, that is academic but it's done in a way that's appropriate for the brain of a preschool-aged child. Well, what about reading? I mean, how are they learning to read? Isn't it the faster they learn to read, the more they'll learn? Dorothy's yeah. being a devil's advocate. Yeah. <laughs> you want to take out for me that I don't really believe it. This is what I hear from parents. Yeah, yeah. My experience has always been that children who are read to and read to frequently and often daily are early readers, but there really is not a lot of evidence about early reading makes you more successful necessarily in terms of testing. And children do pick up reading just in the environment when they have to find their own locker that has their name on it, or at least a symbol, that's reading, that's decoding. When they have to figure out someone's name tag or their own name tag, if they have name tags around, that's decoding. When they point to a word and they say, well, those letters are in my name too, as you're reading them a story, that is decoding, that is reading. And so it's done in a very natural way. And almost all of my kids who left my preschool were reading a little bit. Mm-hmm. It wasn't formal reading, but they were reading. I mean, yeah. it does really start, I feel like, just naturally because there's an interest in being read to at mm-hmm. first when they're really young. Right. And then that eventually moves on to wanting to make their own marks because, I mean, I walk into every two and three year old classroom and children want to pretend that they're teachers and they copy the teacher's writing on clipboards and they'll get a clipboard and they'll make their own marks. But children are playing being teachers like you today with your red pencil <laughs> right. and seeing how these words can get transcribed into letters. And then eventually they just start asking us, how do you spell mommy? How do you spell daddy? How do you spell sister? And it just comes about really naturally. You just have to know what's going to happen. Yeah. And and you have to trust that. You have to trust that development. Children have been developing pretty much the same way, (laughs) Um, you know, since the beginning of time. And, you know, they still get their teeth at about the same time. They still walk at about the same time. And they're going to read. I keep saying to parents, if they read it three and a half, four and a half, or five and a half, my daughter was close to six and a half before she completely read fluently, they're still reading when they're 20. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, we get all caught up when our own child is that age, but it does level out and, it, mm-hmm. and you can't really tell the difference. I also say to my parents, do you remember at what age your child began to crawl? And nobody can remember. Right. And yet all kids are crawling. 
So they're developmental skills, Mm -hmm. and they are going to happen. So what role do you think adults have to play in in play? I think, and, and this is something I was so lucky to have modeled for me, I think adults have to support play, and I think they have to contribute to it as much as possible without interfering. And that's a fine line. And I think really good teachers know that fine line. It takes a little bit of experience. But for example, if I said to my parents or to my Aunt Mimi, who I remember so well, I want to play office today, they would gather materials for me to play office. Mm -hmm. But they wouldn't play office with me necessarily unless I asked them to. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to play school, they they got me the red pencil and they got me the books (laughs) and they got me stuff so that I could play school. But they would say, do you want me to be your student? They wouldn't intrude on my play. Mm -hmm. So I I think you there's it's hard. You, You want to be there. You want to be there with them and for them without intrusion. It's a little behind line. It's a fine, yeah, yeah, it's a dance. Yeah. And without interruption mm-hmm. as well. And sometimes that's hard if you, if you have a transition, like it's time to eat lunch or it's snack time or it's nap time or whatever's going on. And they're in the middle of really active play. We try to give a warning. You know, we're, we're going to be eating lunch in a few minutes. So I just wanted you to know about that. And sometimes we get kickback from that. No, I don't want to eat lunch right now. <laughs> I need right, five right. minutes. Yeah. yeah. So we have to negotiate that. So, Dave, when we're describing play to parents, how would you say the best way to talk about the different kinds of play? I think sometimes parents at the very beginning don't recognize the very start of play, which is a solitary play, even a one-year-old who grabs a block and decides that that block is an airplane or a train. That's the beginning of play. And then that moves into parallel play where they play alongside another child, but they aren't necessarily interacting, which then will move into cooperative play where sometimes roles are assigned. As I said before, you're the mommy, you're the daddy, you're the cat. (laughs) And then sometimes that takes the form of construction play where they're building different objects and they're all contributing to that building with blocks and so forth. It can also take the form of uh, more cooperative play where they're creating something like they're baking a cake together and one is the chef and one is the assistant chef and so forth. So play gets more complex as they get older. And I think if you really watch their play and listen to their play and look at their faces, don't just listen, but look at their faces. They're learning so much and they're learning so many leadership skills. I always have parents ask me or say to me, my child is so bossy. My child is such a bossy little thing, and I'm embarrassed about it, you know, and I always have said, your child will be a leader. At at the age of three or four, if your child is bossy, those are the children who often become the leaders because they don't know how to say, could you please be the cat today? They just say, you're the cat. (laughs) And that's the way it is when you're little. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so valuable to see how, what they see in the world when it comes out in their play. Like the fact that they pick up a phone or a block and turn it into a phone and they talk on it the same way that, you know, they see us talk on the phone. Like you're really seeing what they see in us. And I always find that really interesting when they mimic things that 
they hear other adults say or that they have seen somewhere else. You're seeing how they're understanding the world around them. And there's so much that's happening when they're doing that kind of play. And they're making sense of that world. Right. As well. I remember my daughter one time, she was playing and she said, I said, what are you doing, Leah? And she said, I'm playing. I'm going to a meeting. <laughs> and it was embarrassing to me because I thought, uh-oh, am I going to too many meetings? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I once watched a child play in the housekeeping area and I loved every time she she put something in the oven. She kicked the oven. Just let me know. There's probably that's what happened at home. The oven wasn't closing. Yeah. A lot is revealed in play, but it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I remember Vivian Polly, who passed away last year, unfortunately, saying that play is the first form of abstract thinking. Mm. That's pretty deep. That's yeah. pretty intense. But when a child does pick up that block and make it a phone or whatever, that's abstract. And right. that, that's that's deep thinking. They're doing symbolic representation. Yeah. They're having yeah. to. One of my favorite stories was the idea of a child pretending to be a cook in a play area and another child saying, well, I want pizza for dinner. And she looks through all the like plastic toy food. She's like, well, I don't have a pizza, a pizza toy. So I can't, you can't have pizza today. And it was another child who, who just turned something else into a pizza. Uh -huh. And just that difference of, of flexibility yeah. too. the child yeah. who needed the actual physical object to pretend with and the you know and another child who could just pick up the triangle shaped thing or the circle shaped thing and this could also and be that a could pizza. be a pizza and they learn from each other that way oh as well. so much yeah. so much yeah it's great so Jaya, even after hearing all of this what if parents still say play is a waste of time what would you say to them well first of all there are many books that you can read and articles out there. So one simple reference I would give them is called Why Play by Chris Pankos. It's very reader-friendly for parents. We'll put but, that in the notes. Okay. okay. <laughs> and then the other thing, I discovered this when I was in college, and I remembered it and enjoyed it all my life. It's a quote from Zorba the Greek, and I'd like to share it with you. Please. Okay, it says, I remember one morning when I discovered a cocoon in the back of a tree just as the butterfly was making a hole in its case and preparing to come out. I waited a while, but it was too long appearing, and I was impatient. I bent over it and breathed on it to warm it. I warmed it as quickly as I could, and the miracle began to happen before my eyes faster than life. The case opened the butterfly started slowly crawling out, and I shall never forget my horror when I saw how its wings were folded back and crumpled. The wretched butterfly tried with its whole trembling body to unfold them. Bending over it, I tried to help it with my own breath. In vain. It needed to be hatched out patiently, and the unfolding of the wings should be a gradual process in the sun. Now it was too late. My breath had forced that butterfly to appear all crumpled before its time. It struggled desperately, and a few seconds later died in the palm of my hands. That little body is, I do believe, the greatest weight I have on my conscience, for I realize today that it is a mortal sin to violate the great laws of nature. We should not hurry, we should not be impatient, but we should obey the eternal rhythm. Wow. Thank you, Daya. Thank you, Daya Hill, for coming. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. And thank you, listeners. Thank you so much, Daya. Always great to hear you. Thank you. Hello. My name is Teddy, and thank you for listening, and I hope you can subscribe for podcasts. <laughs>